Welcome to the Wrong Kind of Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Martin, and welcome to 2021. I hope you all had a great holiday season. I spent a few days between Christmas and New Year's with my youth group girls in Branson, Missouri, at an event called Winter Extreme Conference. Have you ever heard of it? It's a Christian teen conference created by the band New Song. We'd never been to this particular event before, but we had an awesome time. We heard from some pretty fantastic speakers. Tim Tebow was there, Zane Black, Shane Pruitt. And um, every night we had a concert, which was so, so nice, given like how much everything has kind of been on lockdown for most of the year. So we saw Lecrae and Crowder and of course, New Song. So yeah, that's kind of a a widespread um, genre there, but they were all great. And the girls all loved them. And the speakers, though, they had like some really great messages to bring that really connected with the teens and and the sponsors that were all there. So my girls truly enjoyed the event. If you ever have the chance to go to an extreme conference with a youth group, you should definitely take that opportunity. It'll speak to you just as much as it does the kids. My youth group is now trying to convince me that we need we need to make it to a summer extreme conference because, you know, it's in Panama City, Florida. So yeah, good try, girls. We're in Kansas, so that would definitely be quite the trip. We did, though. While we were there, we got to try out Guy Fieri's new restaurant at the Branson Landing, and that was some pretty good food. Everyone, the whole group agreed that it was great food. I recommend reservations if you're going, but we uh, we all split meals, and we all loved it. My daughter and I split these trash can nachos, which, you know, trash can nachos are just kind of a favorite of mine anywhere we go, but these were so good, so... Yes, I took a picture of my food and you can see that on Instagram if you don't judge me too harshly for taking a picture of my food. But Now we're all back home and rested up and ready to start the new year. Do you guys have any new year traditions that, that you do to help you start the year off well? My husband kind of made fun of me for this one, but um, last year, January 1st, 2020, I turned all of my hangers around in my closet so that, you know, when I wore something, I would turn the hanger back the other way. So I would know that I wore it. And, you know, at the end of the year, I could see what all I didn't wear. And this might make me a nerd, but I was so excited taking out everything that I hadn't worn all year and, and like just getting it out of my house. I'd love to hear what you do to start your year off right. Leave me a comment on this episode or find me on Facebook or Instagram and, and let me know. Okay, let's move on to our study. Last week, we heard the writer of the Hebrews pretty much calling out the Hebrew Christians for not growing in their faith, but he leaves them with some encouragement, telling them basically, you know, to keep going, don't give up. Jesus has gone ahead and he's he's mediating for us as our, our great high priest um, in the order of Melchizedek. And now we finally get to see who this Melchizedek person is and why he's mentioned here in Hebrews. So, you know, we started off this whole study talking about how Jesus is greater. He's greater than the angels, greater than the servant. Now he's greater than Melchizedek. Before we look at the text, though, let's talk about why the writer has brought up this kind of obscure person. He's mentioned only twice in the Old Testament, um, once in Genesis and once in Psalms. 
And I wonder if it's not because these Hebrew Christians were struggling with this intellectual side of faith and that maybe that was what was one of the pieces that was kind of holding them back from spiritual growth. Do you ever do that? I know that I sometimes do. If I think about it too much, I can struggle with the intellectual challenges that come with understanding like how the resurrection can happen or you know how Jesus's death and sacrifice transfers to me. Even just last night, my daughter and I were on our way home from my parents' house, which is, it's about a three-hour trip. And we had been talking the whole trip about faith. Like, you know, sometimes God just makes that happen for us. He gives us that time together and focuses us on him for like just a good chatting session. And Lene, my daughter, she's telling me about uh, a conversation that she's had with one of her friends recently. Lene has always been pretty vocal about her faith. And, and I don't mean confrontational. I mean, she just doesn't shy away. If the opportunity arises for her to share her faith or to talk about it with others, she has no problem just putting it out there. She's always been like that. This friend has listened to Lene talk about Jesus for years now. Like, you know, they're um, they're teens now and they were in kindergarten together when Lene started, <laughs> started telling her all about Jesus. And um, so she's just been listening to Lene for years. And she finally said just recently, she said, you know, Lene, what you're saying sounds crazy. It literally doesn't make sense. And Lene says she responded with, yeah, trust me, I know, but that's faith. These Hebrew Christians had been struggling with some intellectual issues that just didn't make sense to them. See, for one, the Jewish law only allowed for certain tribes of people to be priests. And Jesus wasn't there. You know, he wasn't from that tribe. And it also wasn't okay for a king to be a priest when a king is also in charge of the religious aspect of life, it doesn't always work. Things overlap too much and, and you're not able to fully advocate for either one. So it was a it was a rule that they couldn't be a priest and a king at the same time. So, so Jesus said that he was both. And while they believed in the promises that Jesus left with us, they struggled to reconcile that with their like their long held teachings and their traditions, what they knew to be true. So I don't really think we can fault them for that. But what does that have to do with this Melchizedek guy, right? So let's start reading. Hebrews 7, 1 through 3 says, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. So already we see that this Melchizedek fellow had something in common with Jesus. He was both king and priest. So Continuing on, he met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Did you catch all that? Let's take a closer look at that. In Genesis 14, some kings had come and attacked the land. Abraham had gotten word and he took just 318 trained men and they went in pursuit of the kings that had come and like taken some of their stuff. And it was personal to Abraham because they had taken his nephew Lot. So um, so he, he pursued them and he was successful in his quest and he recovered all that was taken, including his nephew Lot. When he returned, King Melchizedek came to meet him and brought bread and wine and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything, which is what we would call a tithe, right? So Melchizedek is called a priest and a king of Salem. 
And the king of Salem just means that that's a shortened form of the word Jerusalem, like an ancient word that they used to, to talk about Jerusalem. So Melchizedek is the king of Jerusalem. The author then translates for us, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness and king of Salem means king of peace. Does that sound like someone else we know? Melchizedek is a foreshadow of our Messiah to come. And the Old Testament only gives him a few short verses. Like that's it, just a a short snippet in the entire Bible. And what's more interesting than the meaning of his name and title is what comes next, his genealogy. So remember, a priest can't be a king and a priest must be from the Levitical tribe. And I mean, honestly, the text tells us that he has no family lineage, no mother, no father. He has no beginning and no end. We have no idea when he was born or when he died, which, you know, especially that death date would have been significant because the priest certainly can't go on mediating for the people beyond death, right? So, and this is crazy because the Jews would have kept track of that. They would have known who the next priest was. The next priesthood should have signaled the end of Melchizedek's, but instead we're told there's no beginning and no end much like another high priest we know. But, and don't miss this, Melchizedek was made like the Son of God, not the other way around. The word the Hebrew writer uses here, afomeomenos, means a direct copy, a model. It's used nowhere else in the Bible. So really, Melchizedek is like Jesus. He's a copy of Jesus, not vice versa. So what else do we know about the king priest? Hold on tight for this one because it's, it, it's a little bit lengthy, but we'll get through it at the end. Hebrews 7, 4 through 10. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they are also descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Whew, are you still with me? The writer is just telling us here that Melchizedek was greater than possibly even Levi because Levi hadn't come yet, but his ancestor, Abraham, Levi's ancestor, paid a tithe to Melchizedek. Why is this a big deal? Well, the Israelites pay a tithe to the Levitical tribe by commandment, but Abraham just offered it up. Because it came from the heart, it means more than something that is required, you know? Does that sound familiar? As much as we have talked about this book of Hebrews being like a book of warnings, it also seems to be telling us that it's what's in our hearts that means more than what we do out of requirement. We constantly use this phrase, right? It's a heart issue. Well, here we are again. It's a heart issue. Think about it. If someone is required to give you something, does it mean as much to you as if they had just given it to you voluntarily? When we give from the heart, we're saying, I'm choosing to do this because I want to. And doesn't it always mean more if someone does something for you because they want to rather than because they have to? Even more so, Abraham gave him a tenth of the spoils, like the best of the best, you know? So the point in all this is, 
Abraham did this for Melchizedek, and it was good. And since it was good, it became a commandment for the Israelites. Eventually, the Israelites came to see it only as a duty and and not with a giving spirit. And so it lost some of its goodness. You know, sure, they were being obedient, but they weren't in it for the right reasons, right? The heart wasn't in the right place. So today, when we give to Jesus, sure, it's out of a sense of duty, obligation to help further the kingdom here. But hopefully it's also from the heart. God can do so much more with a willing heart than one that is just going along with things because they were told to do so, you know? So Abraham gave willingly from a thankful heart to Melchizedek. Then the writer finally, like finally, makes the connection for them. Why are we talking about this Melchizedek guy? Verses 11 through 14. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still a need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek and not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Okay, so basically what we're seeing here is that if the Levitical tribe had been able to allow for perfection, then that would have been the end of it. If perfection could have been attained, then there would be no need for Jesus to have come. But with the changing of the priesthood, there was also a changing of the law. That makes sense, right? Remember, we're talking about some of the intellectual challenges that these Hebrew Christians were grappling with. So what's the best way to teach someone something new? We connect it with something they already know. We call this scaffolding. These Hebrew Christians may have struggled to understand how Jesus can be priest forever because he didn't fit their preconceived ideas, but they were familiar with Melchizedek, who was also outside the mold, so to speak. Verses 15 through 17 kind of help us with this. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The writer is reminding them of what they already know. He's saying, you knew another priest was coming that wouldn't fit the mold. Don't be surprised that he's arrived. No, Jesus doesn't have the right earthly credentials to be a priest, but he has the right spiritual ones. Verses 18 through 19 say the former regulation is set aside because it is weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. This former regulation, which is the law of Moses, was great at telling us what God's standard is, but it can't make anything perfect. It was there to teach us what perfection is, but not meant to bring us into perfection. I once heard it like this, um, this is a quote and I couldn't tell you who said it, but it, it's not original with me. It says, the law is perfect for diagnosing our sin, but it did not provide the cure. The law tells us what perfection would be and it tells us when we mess up, but it didn't give us the cure for that. That came later with Jesus, right? So, And with Jesus came a change in the priesthood, a change in the law and a change in our access to a real relationship with God. So Now that the old law has been annulled, we can't go back to it. We don't want to go back to it. A better hope has come, and he wants a personal relationship with each of us. 
the writer keeps going in verses 20 and 21. And it is not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath. When God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. It's almost like the author is kind of on a roll now and he just can't stop saying it, right? Jesus became a priest by an oath recorded in Psalm 110. That's the, the second time that we see Melchizedek mentioned in the Bible. Under the previous law, the priests were chosen by their heritage. They had to be Levites. Verse 22 says, because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. So this word guarantor, that's an interesting one. So it would be the same word used if I posted bail for someone in prison or if I co-signed on a loan. Like Jesus is literally putting his neck out for us. I mean, obviously, given you know the sacrifice that he made for us, we know this, but he's literally saying, I'm vouching for this one. This is the real deal. Verses 23 through 28 tell us, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing an office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who had been made perfect forever. Okay, remember, we've talked about why Jesus is greater than the angels and the servants. And today we're seeing why Jesus is greater than Melchizedek, a king and a priest who was made in his image, not the other way around. We talked a bit about this when we were in chapters four and five, but Jesus is our great high priest because he lived a sinless life. Like that's part of it. He never had to atone for his own sins, unlike the Levitical priests. He was blameless. One other thing that makes Jesus unique in his priesthood, he was both priest and sacrifice. He didn't offer up an animal on the altar. He offered up himself a perfect sacrifice and a willing sacrifice. So remember our discussion just a bit ago, something given from the heart is worth more than something given out of obligation. And Jesus gave himself for us out of love for us. He determined that we were worth it and he posted our bail so that we could have a relationship with God. Man, isn't that worth everything? Next week, we'll move on to chapter eight and we'll see just how much better this new covenant is as opposed to the old covenant that came with the law. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe or follow button on whichever app you're listening to the show on. And don't forget to find me on all the socials. I look forward to connecting with you all over there. Talk to you next week. Bye.